0: All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Tonight, Andrew and I are going to read some great lister questions we've gotten recently. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to my friend Andrew, and he's going to read the first question to us.
1: Yeah, thanks, Dave. So this first question comes from John Keene. He says, Hi, Dave. I love the podcast, and I've been binge listening to all of them this past month. I have a question about dollar-cost averaging over a very long time frame. About a year ago, I researched and bought about 10 dividend-paying stocks that I have been dripping into. Each position I own is small and only have about five shares of each. I run a vegetable farm, and with that, family and other expenses, I never have large sums of money to put into stocks. I've heard you guys talk about dollar-cost averaging over a one-year span. Would it be okay to add monthly to a stock over 30 years as long as the company is in good shape, keep up the great work. Thanks.
0: Well, in a word, yes. So, I guess that is the the easy answer. So, let's dive into this just a little bit. So, first of all, Don, thank you for reaching out, and kudos to you to staking, taking the step and diving in and embracing this with with both arms. So, I applaud you for taking that step. So that's that's a great first step, and a lot. People struggle with that. So kudos to you for doing that. And the fact that you've bought all these great companies and are starting to put money aside is, is a great thing for you and for your family in the long run. And dollar cost averaging, especially if we don't have tons of money to put into the market is a great way. And the, the studies show that, well, there's, there's various studies. So some of the things that I've read about dollar cost averaging, it really talks a lot about more about time in the market as opposed to timing the market. So if you find a great company that you think has got a lot of great prospects over a long period of time, continually adding money to that company is, is a great way to go. And it doesn't have to just be over a year. It doesn't even just have to be over six months. It could be over 10 years or 20 years, because as you continue to add money to that, that company, then If it's paying a dividend, that's just more dividends you're going to get, which is going to compound upon that. And it becomes this huge snowball that's going to roll down the mountain for your wealth. And the more that you can continue to put into that company during the good spells and the bad spells, that's really kind of how you average out the returns. And when you think about 401ks that people invest in for their companies that they work for, that's really what those comp- those 401ks are doing is they have an allocation that you're allowed to choose from depending on which company you work for. And every month or every paycheck, for example, when I worked at Wells Fargo, every paycheck, they would take a portion of my paycheck that I would allocate allocate for them to do this with. And it would basically dollar cost average into the different funds that were in my 401k. And that's really how it works. And the idea being that when things are down, you get to buy more shares of the company. So let's say, for example, the company is selling for $50 a share. And then there's a downturn in the market and it drops to $40 a share. Well, now you get to buy a little extra with that. And then if it drops to maybe $35, you get even more percentage of shares. And then as it continues to rise, then when things turn around, then those shares are worth more and you get a a greater compounding effect. And when the prices are up a little bit, then you're still adding as the company goes up and you're still buying it for less than it's worth a month from now. So let's say that it goes back to $55 and then the next month it jumps up to 60 and then the next month it's 65. Now these are obviously just examples, but my point being is if you buy it $5 less than the month it is next, then you're still buying it less and you're still getting those advantages of, of share appreciation as well as more dividends because all those things all add up and that's really where some great returns can come from. And dollar cost averaging is, is a fantastic way to invest in. It also helps alleviate some of that stress of having to find your next great idea every single month. And it's a hard thing to do. I know it <laughs> and I do this and it's, it's a very hard thing to do. And so sometimes it's just, it's nice and easy to just go, Hey, this company is still doing great. Hey, I'm, I'll am i buy more of it. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. So uh, I guess think of it as your, like your favorite food, uh, pizza, for example. So there's nothing wrong with buying more pizza. Well, except maybe for your waistline. Uh, but, buying more pizza is a great thing to do. So I, I, I think the the same idea applies with investing is, is, is continually trying to put money into the company. If you found companies that you think are great businesses, then continuing to add to those positions is definitely going to help you in the long run. So I encourage you to keep doing that. And, and again, kudos for, for taking the step and doing this, John, I really, really think that's awesome.
1: That's a really, really good answer. And it's very inspiring too, I think. Now, to that, kind of add a follow-up to that, so you know, he mentioned having only about five shares each when he would buy these companies. Does the same logic apply to somebody who's allocating a little bit more money? Maybe they're buying twenty shares, maybe they're buying fifty shares. Um, is the logic change as as the dollar amounts get higher?
0: No. No. The the same idea applies think about a perfect example of this is warren buffett so when warren buffett uh invests in a company he doesn't always just buy one tranche of you know a particular company he's he's in in a lot of cases he's adding as the company improves a perfect case in point is his recent uh investments in apple so they dip their toes at one point and then they bought in more later and they bought in more again. Now recently they did sell trim some of the positions. So they sold some of the positions, but the, the idea is still the same is that you're, you're, you're acquiring more positions of the company, and and especially if it's undervalued, then that's even more of a benefit because as the company improves, then your share appreciation is going to go through the roof because you have a bigger portion of that and exponentially it's going to improve. So yeah, whether you have you know a little bit of money or a little bit more money, dollar cost averaging at any stage is, I think, fantastic.
1: Is there a certain point you would recommend to an investor like John? Where if a stock price goes too high, maybe not wanting to add to that versus if it kind of stayed a little more flat?
0: You know, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I think one of the things that I would think about with that is as you're, as your dollar cost averaging into a particular company, let's say the company A has been on a great run. And then after a while, you start to see that it's maybe is tapering off. One of the things that you could do is look at other positions in your portfolio and see if there's advantages to maybe switching your focus from that company to another company. I guess I have mixed feelings about trimming positions or changing ideas. Some of that is I haven't, I guess, I haven't come to a conclusion of what, what's the, the best thing. I still struggle with that, honestly. We all One do. of the things that I read. Yeah <laughs> one of the things that I read recently was uh, Charlie Munger said that one of the one of the aspects of compounding is never get in front of it in other words don't interrupt it unnecessarily uh that's one of the I guess big unforced errors that he talks a lot about so unless there's fundamentals that have changed about the company that would make you want to not own the company then I guess I would maybe maybe not necessarily continue adding to the company, but certainly looking at at other positions. So he mentioned that he has 10 other companies that are part of a portfolio. So there's nothing wrong with, you know, seesawing back and forth. In other words, adding to company A and then adding to company B the next month and then adding to company A the, the third month and then company B the fourth month and kind of alternating back and forth. There's nothing wrong with that. There's also nothing wrong with you know, focusing more on one company for a while, and then if you feel like it's reached a plateau or it's become too a bigger portion of your portfolio, then you could look at other portions of the portfolio and start adding to those uh, to kind of even out the diversification, if you will. So, uh, those are those are some, I guess, ideas I have on that. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I guess coming from somebody whose personality, especially when I first started out in investing, was I want structure and I want the system that I'm going to strictly follow that kind of takes my, kind of directs my decisions. And I just kind of think and go back to this idea of don't fight tomorrow's battles today. And so whatever that answer is for how your dollar cost averaging today doesn't mean that needs to be the answer a year from now. So For me personally, well, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this stuff all day long. So I have that luxury, but I'm constantly reevaluating between what is this stock and how does that compare with what I have in my portfolio? And so that's like an ongoing process for me. And in any given month, I could be looking at any of my stocks and seeing which ones do I want to add more to? Which ones do I have higher conviction towards? And how does that play out in the whole portfolio? So, you know, Buffett's a great example. Not only did he dollar cost average into Apple, he also did it with Coca Cola, which was another one of his huge bets. Um, he, he, he got in at like, you couldn't time it anymore perfectly. He got in after the 1987 crash, added a bunch, and then three or six months went by and then he backed up the truck even more, even though the price had gone up. But, you know, I don't know if we're all Warren Buffett's per se. I mean, the longer I become an investor, the more I kind of move away from the whole betting big. And I, and I like to look at my portfolio as having good balance between all of the positions. And so you might have a company that you have super strong conviction in. That doesn't mean you're going to be right on it. (laughs) You know, the market doesn't care how you feel about it. So. You know, maybe having some humility and keeping that diversification by changing which positions your dollar cost averaging into to have just a healthy balanced portfolio. And I think that the answer to which stock am I going to add to each month, that might that decision process might change for you depending on how often you're looking at it. You know, maybe for somebody like me, I'm looking once a month, every month. Maybe somebody else is looking once a quarter or once a year and then just ch- like dave said changing the focus and switching between which ones your dollar cost averaging to there's no perfect solution but i think those are all good ideas to kind of think about and just being somebody who's first starting out i think it's 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 something that as long as your dollar cost averaging into something you're going to do really really well
0: yeah i w- i would agree with that those are those are great points and uh, One of the things that I think about when I think about building a portfolio and working with investing is you have to think about what your risk tolerance is and what you can handle. One of the things that I admire about uh, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger is they talk a lot about being able to sleep like babies at night because they don't worry about what they're doing with their money that they're comfortable with what they're doing. And, and I guess that to me is in essence a margin of safety for them. And when Andrew was talking about having a structure and kind of having a formula or a, a, you know, an idea of how to do things, that in, in essence is a margin of safety because a lot of investing is in our heads. Honestly, it's, it's emotional. And when we're dealing with money, especially money we've worked hard to earn, it becomes emotional. And so the biggest struggle that most people have with investing is the emotional part of it and dealing with the ups and downs and the risk and the not risk and everybody's wired differently. So what I may view as risky, Andrew, might not and vice versa. And so to have a a one size fits all kind of idea. I think there's generalities that are good to think about. So dollar cost averaging is a, is a great generality to use for people that are investing. But for me to tell John, for example, that you should buy just this company for the next 30 years. Uh, I don't know how John feels about that particular company. And as the facts change, he may change his mind. That's a, 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 a kind of a famous quote for investing in, I think that's something to think about when we think about any sort of investment and how we want to start kind of building our portfolio. And the, the most important thing is, is time in the market, not timing the market and also just being consistent and continually adding because as my grandma used to say, and I've said this before, water dripping on a stone eventually makes an impression. And if you keep at it, you will, will get where you want to go. And I think it's uh it's a great idea to to use something like dollar cost averaging and just remember that you have your own mind and you have your own ideas and follow them and also remember though that uh, the stock market is it's a, it's a fickle mistress and just because you're absolutely right on the numbers and everything you're thinking about is right doesn't mean the market's going to agree with you so uh don't try not to get too emotionally attached to an investment so i guess that's kind of my last thought on that
1: that's a perfect way to tie it up. Great job.
0: Thank you. All right. Let's move on to the next question. So I have uh, Andrew and Dave. I love the podcast and have been learning a lot. I have heard recently about the environmental, social, and governance ESG ratings for companies. What can you tell us about this rating system, and is it a good thing? Does this rating score show up on annual reports? Thanks, Mike. Andrew, what are your thoughts on ESG?
1: So – Let's 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 back up before and, and uh, provide some context. So you know, let's talk about what do companies have to, what do they have to disclose, and what don't they have to? Because when it comes to ESG, this is an idea that's still relatively young, and so bottom line is it's not required yet. And so you'll have some companies who will talk about ESG in their annual reports, while others won't because they don't have to. And so you know a regular annual report will have numbers that every company is required to file so think about like every company has to say how much they've earned in profits each year they have to talk about their assets stuff like that so when it comes to ESG companies aren't doing that yet but there does seem to be a big movement and and i would say just a big movement in the psyche of investors in general there seems to be particularly among my generation a lot more investors who are thinking about the social implications behind where they put their money uh, instead of just thinking strictly of all I right, am going to operate like a corporation and and just you know 100% focus on the profit motive they're starting to bring you know our own values and moralities into into the type of decisions we're making and so i think it's something to watch and i think i think there's a lot of leeway right now with how a company presents themselves from a ESG standpoint. And so even as you have these investments like ETFs that are tracking companies with good ESG scores, a lot of that's very, none of it's set in stone because again, you don't have the regulations behind it. And so I think it's, it's a lot of opinion right now. And it's, it's, it's going to be, you know, you have to think from a pragmatic standpoint, there's, there's a good reason to pay attention to the to these scores as they pertain to certain companies, and so you know when you talk about environmental, as an example, and the company talks about what's their carbon footprint, what are they doing to reduce the carbon footprint, that might be a lot more relevant for a company that's been going through litigation because of the dumping they've done to the environment. Versus a company where they're not really making a carbon imprint, anyways, and you know it's not going to, from from a financial standpoint, from a return from the stock market standpoint, there there might not be much benefit. And so you can you can say similar, you know, as it comes to like social and governments, you have social things like diversity. Governance refers to things like. Ownership, you know, does management have a stake in the business? Are they treating the business like they own it themselves? You know, do they have that skin in the game or are they just using the business as a way to extract cash and pad their own personal balance sheets? So all things that I think are becoming more pre- prevalent as time goes on and, you know, is it a good thing or is it not? I think it, I think it has a lot of good potential, but I think we're still very early in this, in the, in this situation. And so I would, I would be cautious on making investments solely on someone's opinion on their ESG rating, but I do think it's important. I do think there are, you know, there are companies that are, that are like doing good for, in regards to ESG and also making it a very profitable endeavor. I, I think of a company like Target as a perfect example. Um, they've installed a lot of solar panels to the top of their stores. And, you know, I'm sure most of us have been in a Target store. They're massive. So it's a lot of surface area on the top of the store where they can put solar panels. Not only is that good for the environment, but it also gives them a, a huge potential revenue stream down the line as more and more companies Become power hungry and, you know, electric costs go up. And if target can reduce the amount of money that they need to spend on electricity, that's a huge savings. And that directly affects profits to, to investors. So it's a factor, but I wouldn't call it this overwhelming kind of metric to, to particularly use for every single investment. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at StockMarketPDF.com.
0: It's a that's a great point, and and I love the example of Target because when you think about the ESG scores and you think about the impact that in the social world, it's it's getting a lot of a lot of buzz and you think about companies that spring to mind as far as the environmental and social aspect of it. you think of maybe like the oil majors like Exxon and Chevron as being kind of the antithesis to some of this and then you also think about a company like Target, which has a good social presence and they also are working to i guess Reduce their carbon put footprint. And honestly, when we're, when we first started hearing about some of this stuff, I remember thinking to myself, I don't think of a, a company like Target as really having much of an impact on the environment. But then as I th- thought further about it, and Andrew was telling me about Target's Looking at adding solar panels to the rooftops, I thought, A, that's brilliant, and B, I guess you know they do have a bigger impact. And I started noticing when I was reading through financial reports more companies talking about those kinds of things. For example, Amazon talking about some of the solar farms that they're producing or creating to help reduce their need for electricity and being more self-sustaining as a company and doing some of the same, similar things that Target is doing. And I think when we think about the ESG and the impact, some of those things absolutely are going to be good in the long run for not only the planet, but also for the economy, as well as for all the people that work for those companies and want to invest in those companies. And the governor's part is probably something that probably doesn't get as much attention as it really should. Uh, that is something that, as Andrew was mentioning, it really goes back to the people that run the company, are they treating it as they're an owner operator or are they treating it as a hired gun that is there to make as much money as they possibly can for themselves as opposed to everybody else that's involved in the company. And I guess ideally we'd all want to work for and invest in companies that people that want the best for everybody, not just them. And that's something that doesn't get a lot of focus. Uh, the environmental and social obviously is, is much bigger buzzwords right now. But I think like Andrew was saying, investing in a company just solely on the ESG rating or system is, it's a little bit like buying something because you read something online that said, this is a great company. I think it really comes down to your personal values and what you think about certain things instead of relying on what other people think. And I'll I'll give you an example. So I am not a smoker and I've never been a smoker and I don't, I don't like it. And so I will never personally buy a company that sells cigarettes for for their main product. And its I'm not bashing anybody who does, and I'm not saying anything negative about those companies. Just for me personally, it's not something that I want to promote, so it's not something I'm going to invest in. And for me, that is, I guess, a form of ESG. It's my personal opinion, and it's my belief, and I'm putting my money behind that belief by not buying something like that. Now, the flip side of that is I love Diet Dr. Pepper. To me, it's one of the greatest things on earth. And so uh, for me to buy a company like that is something that would fall in line with my values. Now, there are other people out there that won't agree with me on that. And that's, I guess, the beauty of markets is that we get to decide what we want to put our money towards. And so something like ESG ratings I think are a great thing to use as maybe a guideline but as far as like solely investing in something like that just based on that I think it really need to look at what your personal values are and what you think about any particular company and then kind of go from there
1: it's it's a really good point and you know there's a couple things about when you look at these investments being personal for you so, you know, on the one hand, if, if you want to make really good profits, you got to do your research. You got to figure out what kind of stocks do good over the very long term. So that's why Dave and I talk about margin of safety, emphasis on the safety, the fact that conservative investments with good balance sheets and trading at a good price, those do really well over the long term. Okay. That's, that's one part. The second part is the investor behavior. And so going to what Dave is saying about, you need to believe in the company that that's super key too because one of the if not the biggest killer to your returns over the long term is a lack of conviction because the market even though a lot of times it seems like it goes straight up the reality of it is every 10 to 15 years you'll have a huge crash and the people who lose are the ones who panic and sell during the crash so if you don't believe in the company like going back to the smoking example if 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 a if a a company in that industry is struggling you know and maybe it is facing an existential crisis, if you don't believe in the company, if you don't believe in the products and you don't think that they will recover then you're uh, you know it doesn't matter all of the logic behind it if you don't personally believe in that company you're probably going to sell and that's going to be really, really bad for you because a lot of companies do recover. So you do need that conviction. But that conviction needs to come from a place of education and understanding why a company makes people tick. Right? So Dr. Pepper is another great example. Dave being the consumer of that, he knows why people buy it and he knows... Uh, if it has that kind of a place in his heart, where he's going to go to Diet Dr Pepper and nowhere else, then he can he can kind of use that as a proxy to be like, okay, there's probably a lot of other consumers out there like me, and so yeah, you know they might be struggling in the short term. Yeah, you know there might be some issues with, you know this this store over here or, or getting supply over there, but over the long term, I think they're going to do well. And if you, if you know that you pay the good price for a company you know that the business is good, the numbers are telling you it's good, and you also know about what makes the company great, then that can help you with your behavior side and really keep you in the long term, which is where the compounding comes in. That's where the benefits from staying in the market over the long term come from just letting the company do the work for you, rather than trying to micromanage a company and, and micromanage a stock market and become some sort of expert market timer. I don't think there's many of us out there who can do that. I think there's a lot more of us who can stay invested for the long term, trust in the companies that we invest in, know why we invested in them, and stay the course. I mean, from from my perspective, I think of a company where I'm really glad I had conviction on it was American Eagle. Dave, he's probably sick of hearing about American Eagle (laughs) behind the scenes. Not not quite yet. Okay. But no guarantees to what I'm going to do in the future. and, And you know that's a whole nother conversation. But as it stood between what I had to go through holding that company, it went from, just to give you some context, it went from, I think, somewhere around 24 when I bought it. And then it dropped to 17. And I was like, ooh, it's on sale. So I bought some more. And then it continued to drop. And then, you know, COVID happened. And so we're we're talking about a stock that dropped below eight dollars and, you know, even down to like six seventy-five ish from twenty-four. So that's a huge I was looking at my account, I was like, really? I'm down like sixty, seventy percent. This is insane. But, you know, when I researched the company, I knew I paid a good price for it. So I knew that as low as it's going, it's ridiculous because this is a profitable company over the long term. I knew that. I knew they had no debt at the time. Sure, they might have to add some debt to get through this storm, but this is a very, very strong company. I wasn't worried about them going bankrupt in the next six to 12 months because I had done my research. And sure enough, when the market came back, it came roaring back. Everybody knows that story of 2020. American Eagle bounced back incredibly compared to everything else. And it went from eight to I think it's close to thirty dollars now, so you know completely outpacing the stock market completely just blowing blowing me away and it was because I had conviction to hold and you know the fact that I had dividends along the way too those have contributed even more, so as another example, I had like fifty dollars in dividends that I received from owning this company over several years, and that turned to eighty dollars because like Dave said, with the whole dollar cost averaging idea, as the stock goes down and and you reinvest these dividends, you're able to pick up more shares because the stock is cheaper. So when it does recover, um, you get a higher percentage in that exponential growth, and that's what I was able to see. But it only happened because I didn't freak out when I saw it at seven dollars. I mean, I had to I had to vent to Dave about how frustrating it was, but I didn't. It didn't cross my mind to sell because I knew I was going to stay in the long term. And, and that, that worked really well for me.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a great example. And, and these are some of the advantages of, of investing and in, in all the different options that we have. And, and it's good to embrace the different ideas that, that ESG is, is promoting. And I think it'll be helpful in the long run. But again, Just try to follow your own path as opposed to relying on what somebody else is telling you because as Andrew said, it's not really a codified system yet and a lot of it is just opinion and there's no actual factual stuff behind it yet. But there are certainly some great aspects to it and it's something certainly to keep an eye on and to, I guess the bottom line is is invest where you believe and you put your money where you want to put it.
1: Yeah, very good point. So let's move on to the next one here. This one says, I'm a new advanced, I'm a new investor, and I recently started listening to your podcast. I listened to a couple episodes, and I haven't heard you talked about ETFs yet. And when I started investing, I was thinking I should be on the safe side. After a couple episodes on the podcast, I was thinking, do these guys even invest in ETFs? And are ETFs no good? Maybe one day I will never make money out of ETFs. Although I know Buffett suggested that someone could simply invest in S&P 500 and do well. So Dave, what are your thoughts on this question?
0: Uh, absolutely, ETFs are good. So this is a great question. So uh, absolutely, ETFs are good. They are perfect vehicle for people that want to be more of a, I will call a defensive investor. And by that, I mean, they are, let's say that you want to invest, but you don't want to spend the time and effort to really investigate and research and do all the reading and learning and all the effort that it takes to, to learn as much as you can about Microsoft, for example. It, it, it takes a lot of time and effort to, to do that. And that's just not for everybody. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely perfect, great, People that invest in ETFs and there's, it's a successful industry in and of itself. Uh, there's trillions of dollars that are put into ETFs every year. I don't know what Vanguard's total market cap is, but it's gotta be monstrously huge, uh, with all the ETFs that they, they manage, not to mention BlackRock and, and on and on and on. So there is absolutely a place for ETFs if that's what you want. And there's nothing wrong with having a, a combination of different kinds of, of ETFs. It's also nothing wrong with having an ETF as like a, a core position and then having some other single investments. If that's what you want to do, you know, the, maybe there's a situation where you want to put the majority of your money in an ETF and then you want to have some other little play ideas that you want to invest in other companies that are coming up or that you think are going to be great and you want to put a little bit of money in there. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. And if that's something that keeps you invested and keeps you interested in investing, then I would encourage that. Uh, ETFs are a part of 401ks and they're a major part of 401ks and there's a lot of money in 401ks and I think 401ks are a great investment vehicle. And if you are not investing one and you have one available at your work, do it now. Uh, run out today and get one get it signed up for it because if your company matches, that's free money that you were throwing away. So absolutely go do it right now. So ETFs are great and you can make a lot of money in them and there is a million different flavors of ETFs out there. So if you want to invest in cannabis stocks, there's an ETF for that. If you want to invest in ice cream shops, I don't know if there is one actually, but <laughs> there could be, uh, but you know, there's, there's ones for airlines. There's one for, I think there's one in Canada now for Bitcoin. Uh, they're, they're just, they're, any kind of flavor you want. There are ETFs out there and they're ones that just simply match the stock market. And if that's all you want to do, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. You can make a lot of money. Let's let's think about this, for example, last year in 2020, which was probably in our lifetimes, easily the worst year ever. The the S&P returned 18, 19% for the year. Uh, That's a pretty outstanding uh, return for the year. If you're just buying any, if you're buying an ETF, that's, matching the S P return for the for the year and you are 19% on your money for the year, that's pretty awesome. Uh, Warren Buffett's record over fifty years is around twenty percent. So yeah, that's pretty darn good. So uh, there's absolutely ETFs are good. So I, I'm curious to hear what Andrew has to say about this.
1: Well you know I'm not much of an ETF guy and it goes to my own personality. I, I love looking at companies and knowing I have ownership in those companies. And there's something there's something there. And and also, you know, I, I I obviously spend a lot of time on this. And I think if you're somebody who is looking at individual stocks over ETFs, I would just really emphasize that you should have somebody who's kind of helping you lead that path for you. So when I first started out, that was like Warren Buffett, where I had somebody to to follow and model as I learned more and more and more. And you know, like we've talked about before, there's a language to money. There's a lot to learn about it, and it, like a language, you won't learn about, you won't become fluent overnight. And so, with the stock market and stocks and businesses, it's it's very much the same way too. And so, you know, I tried to provide that through the e-letter. I give a lot of research with every stock pick that I am sharing. And so, whether you are following along with that, whether you are following along. Trying to model other successful investors you've seen and kind of doing it yourself that way. Or if you, you realize that that doesn't sound like something that interests you and you just solely want to look at ETFs. What's, what's, I guess, interesting about the whole ETF versus stocks discussion is that the generalities and, and the big picture, timeless principles that apply to each really, really you know, it's, you can't, you can't not learn about those things. So whether we talk about diversification, whether we talk about dollar cost averaging, whether we talk about having conviction with the stocks you have, holding them for the long-term, letting them compound, reinvesting your dividends, that applies whether you're talking about ETFs or individual stocks. And so even if you do want to take a hands-off approach and, and a really passive approach, you can't get around the fact that, a, it's your money nobody's going to care about it more than you do and b you still need to learn about really key principles that will keep your returns acceptable and if if you if you lose those two things you're going to you're not going to do well and i don't care you know I, I don't care what you say unless somebody's blindly doing it for you you're not going to do well unless unless you internalize those two things and so that's why I like stocks over ETFs because you get more of a sense of ownership and it's, it's a lot easier in my book to stay interested and to follow along and to really internalize those key concepts that you need to be successful. But again, that's me and I have my own personality, my own opinions. Somebody else has their own too. And there's no right way to this. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about the market. It's huge. There's a lot of different companies. You know, I don't have to buy all of the best companies to do really, really well. Nobody does. We can all we can all make our own path through different avenues. We just have to be thoughtful, be mindful, be wise, and do things that have worked for a very long time. And just don't necessarily need to reinvent the wheel on that. Just just do what's worked well and and you'll do well too. Um and I think it takes education to get there.
0: That's a great answer. Good advice. That's good stuff for people to listen to. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our conversation for this evening. I wanted to thank everybody for taking the time to write us those fantastic questions. Keep them coming, guys. This is awesome. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety. Emphasis on the safety. Have a great week. We'll talk to y'all next week.
1: We hope you enjoyed this content.